Welcome to the RSP Cast Film and Theory. I'm Mount Waldman. Joining me as always is Adam Harstead with FootballGuys.com. And Adam, I thought it would be fun for us to follow up a little bit on our last week's um, segment on the Fox and the Hedgehog. Um, you know, we got a little bit of email feedback and some Twitter feedback from folks who who particularly enjoyed that episode and then kind of had some things to talk about. I know there was, you know, one one um, listener who who was kind of like, I don't think Matt's a hedgehog. <laughs> and I think the RSP is a little bit more of a fox type of thing. But at the same time, I thought it was interesting because the way he described it, I can understand why he would say, yeah, it's more of a fox type of document. But how it's applied into one area of redraft and in certain aspects of dynasty, I can totally see how it's more of a hedgehog type of tool, you know? And I always say my, my absolute favorite argument is arguments over definitions. Uh, yeah. And I am being sarcastic there. I know sometimes with me, it's hard to tell, um, but no, you know, I think it is very important. I, whenever you're discussing anything, probably the best first step is make sure everybody's on the same page with definitions, because a lot of times people are disagreeing. They, they aren't really disagreeing. They're just defining things differently. Yeah, pretty much. And then we had a, a, a cool letter from, or email from Benjamin Sandry, who is a, a, a regular listener to the RSP cast. And I know that this is probably his favorite of the podcasts that, that, um, that he tunes into. And he always sends us a lot of thoughtful things. And I thought I would share it because I think it was a, a good jumping off point to talk about, um, you know, as a follow-up. He said, you know, I was thinking about the Fox versus Hedgehog path recently, thinking about my now two full seasons doing redraft leagues. My first season, I tried to be a good evaluator of individual talent with the two teams I picked. I knew that that X running back had a new center and that might affect his productivity. And then this backup receiver was able to turn good corners um, hips the wrong way in preseason, so I valued that receiver higher. And one team finished in last place and the other third to last. So I knew a lot about individual players, much of it good information, but not enough to know how things would go. Also, I was trying to draft in a clever way and use third-round picks on players I could have gotten in the fifth, even if they were productive. It was a waste of draft resources. So last year, I did seven redraft leagues using Adam's ADP method with a few tweaks. As I mentioned previously, I used the RSP in your podcast to manage waivers and regression likelihood to manage early season trades. I won five out of the seven leagues and came in second and fourth in the other two. This season so far, I have nine losses across seven leagues. So yeah, he's doing pretty good. The interesting thing I've observed about using Adam's ADP method is that there's a type of player you get. It's not random who drops. And if you can see this video, you'd see random um, Adam's eyes kind of raise and like nod like, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's the same players clever drafters get in early rounds are the ones that you get a little later. Players with a wide range of ADP are the ones who drop. Their ADP driven up by a few fantasy players who think they're being smart by taking the best kicker in the fourth round. Most of the players I got fell into the category of rookies, older players, smaller players, players with injury concerns, or players who were suspended. It bit me this year when I had lots of shares of Saquon, J.K. Dobbins, Nick Chubb, and Jamal Williams. However, for the most part, I still have very strong squads because... I was able to draft players an average of 8.8 .8 picks 
beyond their ADP. My teams have risk of injury, but are strong enough to overcome them in most cases. Also, just one other hedgehog versus Fox note, I don't know a lot about wide receiver play compared to most of that analysts, but I've been extremely successful in predicting which wide receivers come out of college will have success based on three hedgehog-style heuristics. Do they beat press coverage? Can they turn the corner's hips the wrong way with their route stem? And does the ball stop moving immediately when they make contact to catch it? That's probably my favorite one. Uh, I don't care how much what technique they use as long as those boxes are checked. I've done similar things with guard play and have had fifth round pick Wyatt Teller, the most highly ranked player in his draft class. Simple heuristics that eliminate bias can be really helpful so long as they are constructed well. Take care, Ben. Yeah, I love, and I mean, I love the ADP fallers thing um, because it's, you know, like it's a lot of work to prove other stuff like that you've got to run models and you've got to run tests and if the facts on the ground change like like late round quarterback was a dominant strategy and and it was proven as such but what happens is if people start drafting quarterbacks later as a result the calculus changes it's a moving target um but adp fallers is just one of those things that you can prove through pure reason alone like completely deductive a priori reasoning um and it really is I mean, it is such a dominant strategy. I don't think, I think this listener's results are atypical. You're not going to win five out of seven leagues very often. You're not going to, you know, average a four and one record through five weeks across double digit leagues. Um, but it, it just the principles are so sound. And, and I would say that you tend to get a certain type of player, but it kind of depends on what your league is. Like in, in one type of league, you're going to get one certain type of player. Um, I know if I'm playing in a league with like Sigmund Bloom and Cecil Lammy, they're going to take all the exciting sizzle players and I'm going to get the boring like Jamal Williams in Detroit last year, David Montgomery, um, Josh Jacobs, DeAndre like, Hopkins, right? Yeah. The boring guys that like, they're not fun. I'm going to get the boring guys yeah. in that league. Yeah. Um, or I'll have other leagues where like, I know that I'm going to get like, if everybody's a little risk adverse, okay, I'm going to be walking out with all of the injured and suspended guys and um if you play in a lot of different types of leagues you'll get exposure to a lot of different types of players but but he's right it's not random and the guys with the most variance in adp um are the guys you will be disproportionately exposed to um and and so that's really the only potential flaw in the theory is if guys with a wider variance in adp are less likely to become league winners then the theory can suffer from that but uh, my experience has been like this listener's experience where actually they're more likely to become league winners these these huge variance guys um they don't all hit but like when they do hit they hit big so yeah it's a great strategy and and it's an easy strategy um you know it's one of those things that it it's not completely brainless there are skill elements to it and you can you can incorporate it and make it your own and add, i love that he added his own tweaks it's it's good that you make things your own but i would just advise that's that's the starting point i use i'm i'm trash talking everybody in the football guy staff league because i've won the last two years and i'm um, like second in points scored through five weeks this year and i'm like ah you better you better watch out because if i win again you're gonna have to rename the league after me I loved it. I I was joke I I was joking with somebody and saying that I'm gonna have to. I've, I've taken a two year break. Not that I was not that I was winning championships for the past five you know three or four years with you in the league anyway. But I was certainly getting into the playoffs. But I 
but yeah, I'm joke. I, I my little trash talk joke has been like, I need to get back into the league so that we can try and collectively prevent Adam from uh from doing it. But but I mean, I tell you guys testament. every year. Yeah, you do. I publish. I publish the article. I tell you what I'm going to do. It's I'm Babe Ruth calling my shot. That's this right. This is how I'm going to beat you. That's right. And then That's I right. go out and I do it. And he does a good job of it. It's 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 pretty fun to listen to him talk trash to some of the more um some of our. Uh, some of our fantasy GMs and fa football guys <clears throat> who have a little bit bigger egos than others, you know? So, um, but yeah, you know, it's funny listening to Ben and then listening to you talk about this, this, um, approach. I kind of feel like I have a related approach to that when I think about it in, in, um, salary cap auction type of formats or like for auction formats only in the sense that, um, there isn't an ADP. But what you do learn is to time the the kind of the ebb and flow with how people are bidding because people regulate themselves in these leagues and you can time the waves of how they regulate themselves where they, you know, either they come out and they're bidding really hot early and then usually in the chat room, people start to comment about wow that you know rob gronkowski went for like you know 35 dollars. i wouldn't even pay that for like uh my running back one you know and and next thing you know for the next like five or six bids uh rounds of bids everyone's underbidding and afraid to like go over that because the bid police came into effect with that so you start winning players that you want to choose based on the fact that they've already self-regulated. They're basically telling everybody stop bidding so much. And then people start to, and then at the same time, you can start to learn where, um, people bid high and are bidding high or, or bidding low. And, and when people start bidding low and somebody wins one and somebody's like, how did we let him get that player? You know, how did, Oh my God, you, it, it can even just be something as simple as like, wow, you know, just a one word thing. Or you don't even have to see the, the, the thing because when you see a player like, you know, who would be a good example? Christian McCaffrey, somehow somebody wound up with Christian McCaffrey instead of like the 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 average rate being for him being $40 in a $100 cap league or a $200 cap league. That's what would be $200 cap league. Maybe, maybe he goes for like 27 you know, or a player who's going supposed to go for 35 goes for 15. And the minute that happens, then you know that like people are going to start, you know, people are going to start um, bidding up higher. So you might as well stay, lay out of that. But I've found that you can um, play the ebb and flows if you notice that well and get away with like picks that you have no business getting two or three of them in a row because people are afraid to go strong to the hole on a player and you wind up with three who you would never have gotten and winded up saving like, you know, $30. And I think that that's a related way of looking at this. Yeah, I think you get those ebb and flows in, in drafts too. Um, and especially like, 
I think you can induce them in the same way where like somebody drafts a, the first person takes a defense and you're like, oh, here comes the defense run. And then somebody's like, well, do I, do I need to get a defense that was there going to be? And you, yeah. it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy or, or, you know, like in a super flex league, everybody wants two starting quarterbacks, but once almost all the teams have their two, it's going to be three rounds before another quarterback goes. There's no urgency at all to take the next guy. Um, that's what I did in our staff league this year where like, nine of the teams had two quarterbacks in the first five rounds and I'm still sitting there with none just waiting 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 and we get to the seventh and I'm like okay now's the time um but because I waited so long at quarterback I was able to get such huge value at all the other positions um yeah I I think people ask me a lot when I wrote the article like how do you do this in auctions and the the equivalent of ADP for auction leagues would be average price um but it's harder because First of all, that's not really tracked anywhere like right. ADP is. That's a lot harder to estimate. Like, what is this player actually going for right now? It's a, it's a much harder optimization problem. And then second of all, uh, in a draft, since the choice space is so constrained, it's very easy to make the most optimal pick at every time. Like, I'm on the clock in the sixth, and I know, like, these are the options available to me. This guy is the biggest ADP value. Great. In an auction, you can never know in advance who's going to go the most b- below their salary. You know, you can get yeah. Christian McCaffrey for $5 less than you think he's worth. And then the very next next auction, the next player is Tony Pollard going for $8 less than what he's worth. You know, so in, in, in hindsight, maybe you should have laid off Christian McCaffrey and gone after Tony Pollard, but you can't know that in advance. Um, so I always tell people in auctions, the key is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Like, don't worry about getting the best auction values at, at in the entire auction. You're probably not going to. There's 12 people in that auction. Yep. Somebody else is going to get some good steals. Nothing you can do about that. If you're being disciplined and you're consistently getting your players for less than, than the average um, participant is getting them for, you're going to be fine. Um, but yeah, auctions, auctions are very different. I don't have a whole lot of experience with auctions. I always recommend people um, follow or interact with Drew Davenport at Football Guys. Um, he he does a ton of auction stuff and he's extraordinarily successful in the format. And so I think um, it's important as a, as a fantasy analyst to know what you know and to know what you don't know. And when I don't know something and somebody asks me, I always try to say like, look, I'm not the guy to ask that. I'm not gonna be able to help you here, but Here's someone who can. Yeah, Drew's great, and he certainly he certainly won his share. I I haven't played in an auction league in years, but I've certainly I've I've won a couple of them in you know in you know league formats with auction people a couple years in a row, a while in the back, and just still find that I have uh, you know success with that strategy. But as examples of guys like you know getting you know i'm trying to think of where i would have where i got some guys that would work but i'll look forward another another time down the down the line um in terms of who you know who i had success bidding on because it's been a it's been a strong team and it's a keeper league team or a dynasty league auction that has worked out fairly well you know in terms and it's two quarterback and i have like prescott lamar jackson and Tua Tonga-Vailoa, you know, as as part of that that range and like good. It's a it's a strong team. I'll put it that way. It's like it's lost one game so far this year, and it's been in the championship a year. 
and it's been in the semifinals another year, and it's only a three-year-old league. So, you know, we're in the thick of it. But I like the heuristic that, um, that he also brought up with wide receivers. You know, just as someone who does do study these players up close, when he mentioned, you know, three things to look at, I think those might be the three best things to look at because if can you beat press coverage, that just means that you have that you have the quickness. You either you either have a combination of the quickness, the technique with your hands and feet, and the understanding of how corners position themselves to know when to use the right techniques. So there's a lot of things happening within that. That's a it's kind of a a technique dense heuristic that you you know that you know that they've got to have some combination or all of those things to do that routinely. Can they turn the corner's hips the wrong way with the route stem? That means that they understand really the broad um you know, the broad philosophy of running a route, like really what the purpose of running a route is and how to practically implement that in a variety of ways. And then of course the technique part, because there's so many receivers. I mean, we saw, we heard this week, at least a lot of people heard this week on ESPN, Rex Ryan, and um, and I'm trying to remember who else. Basically, maybe it was Ryan Clark arguing about um how the Ravens dropped eight passes on Sunday, and Ryan was talking about how that they used uh the wide receiver coach was throwing a rugby ball around to have them catch the ball. And this was something that somebody retweeted and retweeted a tweet I had from March because the my tweet Mark, which was like, I, I'm all for using different tools, but it seems to me that you'd want to use a smaller ball than a football or the, something equivalent or smaller than to a football rather than something larger because your hand, you're going to get in the habit of your hands being further apart than they need to be. Your fingertip strength might get stronger. You might you might have better tensile strength with your fingertips to catch a, a bigger, heavier ball. But is it at the cost of you now being late, lackadaisical with where your hands need to be positioned? And what's more important <coughs> in terms of priority? Um, so it's a you know it's fascinating to see that he's applied those and take a look at a list of things and said these are the ones that probably make the most sense to do. And I, and I like that. I mean, like, I like the idea of you, you know, if you're not going to evaluate players, um, or even if you do, you know, kind of paring it down to like some simple models to say, these are things that I can look at rather quickly. And that's enough. And he's, and he's absolutely right. I mean, I write about heuristics a lot. Basically, my processes tend to be very, very heuristic based. Um, and the thing about heuristics is good heuristics will perform as well as, you know, much, much, much more extensive models. Um, but they have to be good heuristics. Like just because it's a simple rule of thumb doesn't mean it's a good rule of thumb. And, and you have to actually go through the process of verifying that, like, is this good? Is this producing the desired outcomes? Um, and if it's not, you have to discard it and find one that is. And so it's not like a shortcut. It's not like a cheat code. Yeah. You can't just be like, oh, I'm using heuristics and now I'm successful. Like the, yeah. the process of building good heuristics, it just moves the effort to a different point in the process. Um, but if you have good heuristics, there's no reason that these simple rules of thumb can't be as successful as as far more advanced and, and involved models. Um, and I think it gets to getting back to the fox and hedgehog thing. 
Um, I think success in fantasy football and in any sort of competitive zero-sum field is all about knowing your relative advantages and playing to those as much as possible. Um, like if, if, if I know that I am a plus trader, the path to success for me is to trade a lot. The more I can leverage that advantage, the more that advantage can compound and the better my teams are going to be in the long run. And, and that's me in Dynasty is I know that trading is one of my big edges. Um, I have very good trade discipline. I'm, I'm good at like setting a price and sticking to it. Um, I'm good at anticipating market trends. So I trade a lot. I trade a lot in Dynasty and that's the path to success for me. Um, if somebody's a bad trader and they trade a lot, they're going to ruin their team in a hurry. So you have to have a relative advantage. You have to know that you have a relative advantage. And the problem is people think they have relative advantages in places that they don't, especially because everything is so random and random tends to be streaky. Like I knew a lot of people who thought that they had a relative advantage in evaluating wide receivers because they liked the big boys. And there was like a five year span where the big boys were dominating. And they're like, well, this is great. I'll, I'm handily outperforming the market um, because I like big receivers and big receivers are doing great. I've got this relative advantage and I'm going to lever it. And, and they were wrong. They did not have a relative advantage. Um, so I think one of the, one of the biggest advantages a hedgehog has, like a fox is going to have a relatively small relative advantage in a lot of different domains. There's going to be a lot of actionable space that they can act within and expect to come out ahead. Um, whereas a hedgehog is really only going to have like one or two domains where like I can get ahead here. So I'm going to work really hard at getting as far ahead here as possible. And it's going to be a bigger advantage in that space. And they do a better job of knowing where they actually have an advantage versus where they just think they have an advantage, but they've been fooled by randomness. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, um, having a discussion with one of my Twitter followers too, that like, obviously like if you're a hedgehog and you learn something else and gain an advantage there, well, that's better. And also you just became a fox. So it's better to be a fox than a hedgehog. Um, and yeah, yeah, obviously we're talking about you, you have your thing, your way that you play. And if you also learned ADP discipline, that makes you a better fantasy player and it makes you more of a fox. But at the end of the day, it's not about, it, it's not about necessarily that like the number and the size of the relative advantages it's about knowing where your advantages are and being confident and most importantly being right about that and then being able to stick to that as much as possible and then not give up value on the areas where you don't have an edge yeah or you could just be a hedgehog with a hammer but uh, absolutely see, absolutely but um but yeah looking you know moving forward because that was a fun conversation uh, uh one thing i do want to get to today is you know when we look at some of the news points that we have going on in the NFL, you know Devon HN or uh, yeah Achen or HN yeah HN Devon HN, you know he's hurt. You've got um, Raheem Mostert always a little banged up. Always seems like he's about to be banged up at some point. Salvin Ahmed, you know he's the next guy in the depth chart. There's Chris Brooks, who's you know to some of us is a really fascinating play and flashed you know, against the Broncos and clean up duty and, and look good doing it. Um, when you look at a team like that and in your, and people are recommending, look, you got to get Jeff Wilson and Salvin Ahmed because, you know, these are the two guys that you recommend. Is there a point where you look at that and say, whether you agree with 
that combo of players, one in particular, or do you look maybe as a strategy, depending on the league format, you say, this Chris Brooks kid might not be bad and no one's really talking about him. So rather than trying to like outbid people for some of these guys and I'm in a winning situation and I have the luxury, maybe I, maybe I pick him up for nothing and hold on to it and maybe profit off of that down the road. Yeah, I, I think it gets into um, being very clear with yourself about what you have and what you want, you know, what you need. Uh, because a lot of fantasy analysis likes to reduce things down to a single dimension. And, and rankings, I think, are the quintessential example of this, where you just have an ordered list of players. Number one is better than number two. Number two is better than number three and so on and so forth. And um, then you get tiers, which tries to kind of add a little bit more differentiation where like number one and number two are pretty close, but number two and number three are pretty far apart, but it's still a single dimension. Two's always better than three, three's always better than four. Um, but a lot of value in fantasy football is really multi-dimensional and especially in dynasty leagues. This is, this is one of my favorite things about dynasty leagues. A player really serves three purposes on your roster. Uh, the first purpose is production. They put points in your lineup. Points are how you win games. Winning games is how you win championships. Points are good. The second one is as a medium of exchange, which says, um, if there's something that I want out there, I need something that I can I can use to acquire that. You know, Your waiver priority is something that you can use to acquire something that you like. But players serve that purpose too. Um, prospects, young, like Jonathan Mingo right now, he's not putting many points in your lineup, but he's still valuable because if you want, say, like Adam Thielen, you could probably trade Jonathan Mingo for Adam Thielen and boom, all of a sudden Jonathan Mingo put points in your lineup. Um, and then the third uh, purpose I find for, for players in Dynasty is as a store of value. Um, so basically anything that's not in your lineup, that's not putting points on, um, it's only job, it doesn't really matter how many points a guy scores on your bench. You don't get, there's no tiebreaker for bench points in most leagues. There's it's no utility to you whatsoever. The only job a player has when he's on your bench is to hold his value over time so that he can be a medium in exchange in the future or so that he can eventually put points in your lineup. Um, and the, the latter two, the medium of exchange and the store of value tend to be pretty correlated because the guys who are most wanted on the trade market are the guys who people think are going to hold value the best, which is young receivers, um, that sort of thing, future draft picks. Uh, so I look at, okay, I'm looking at the Miami backfield. Um, Devon HN might be out for a while. Well, I guess he is out for a while. I think they put him on injured reserve. He's definitely out at least four games. Uh, do I need points? Is that my primary need right now? If I need points, I'm getting Jeff Wilson. That's that's not really a question. We saw Wilson come in um, with very little time with the team last year and take over the 1A role in that backfield. Um, so I tend to think that the team likes him better than Raheem Mostert and Raheem Mostert had standalone value, even with a Chan on the field. And yes, there's a possibility that this becomes a three headed thing and everything gets messy and everybody gets hurt by it. But the reality is when we're making decisions at the end of our roster, the default assumption is none of this matters. So we're looking for basically the easiest story to tell for why we're wrong. You know, why is Jeff Wilson available on the street in the first place is because we thought he wouldn't provide any value. So we need to be wrong for this move to matter. 
And I think the story to tell for Jeff Wilson putting points in your lineup is pretty simple, right? We were wrong because we thought that Mostert and HN would hold them off, even though, you know, Mostert couldn't hold them off last year. Uh, so if, yeah, if I need points in my lineup, uh, uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. is the guy I want. Um, if I'm looking for a store of value or a medium of exchange, um, I'm going to be much more interested in Chris Brooks, because even if Jeff Wilson comes back and puts points in my lineup, that he's not going to hold value. I, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. If Jeff Wilson finishes this year with a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns, as soon as the calendar flips over to 2024, his value is going to fall through the floor again, because everybody's going to think this is a chance job rightly or wrongly. Um, you know, I think I tend to think pretty rightly. I don't think Jeff Wilson is a long-term productive player for Miami. He might go elsewhere. He's a good player. He's only 27. But um, you know that whether he produces or not, he's not going to serve well as a store of value or medium of exchange. Um, so I'm not really interested in Jeff Wilson, if that's what I'm looking for. Chris Brooks is much more interesting just because I don't think Chris Brooks is going to produce. But again, it's a question of if I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong and Chris Brooks does produce, well, all of a sudden, yeah, he might hold value into 2024, into 2025. Um, although really, if I'm looking for something that's um, a, a good store of value or a medium of exchange, I'm actually going to look at the Cardinals and I'm going to get um, DeMarcado this week because that's another guy where like, they and the Cardinals have already said that Keontae Ingram is going to be their starter. Um, so I think the most likely situation with um, Amari DiMarcado is he doesn't really do much for you and like any waiver money you spent on him is wasted. But again, it's a question of if we're wrong, if, you know, DiMarcado looked really good filling in for Connor this last week, if maybe he's the 1B and he comes in and he has 12 carries and gets 84 yards and a touchdown on them, and then his role kind of expands, and then all of a sudden he's a 24-year-old rookie, I could see him carving out some good long-term value. Um, it's not likely. Nothing's likely when you're talking about waiver priority. Um, but I think it's really good for, for managers to be honest with themselves about what they need. And, and in redraft, it's mostly points. That's mostly what you're concerned about. Jeff Wilson's the play. In Dynasty, it's much more tempting to pass on the points and and look at um, at, at longer term value and, and and even in redraft it happens. I've Justin Jefferson in my one redraft league. He's um, on injured reserve. He's out for the next four weeks. I need points now. I looked at um, football guys projections. The top short term option was KJ Osborne, who's going to step in for Jefferson and and give me the points until Jefferson comes back, projected to. Um, but the highest long-term option was Jonathan Mingo, who's not really producing that much right now, but I love, love, love rookie receivers in redraft because their production tends to ramp up pretty linearly over the course of the year, which means they're giving you the most points at the end of the season when the games are the most important. So yeah, I, I had that dilemma. I'm like, I, I need to get a wide receiver do I prioritize the points now in Osborne or do I prioritize the longer term value in, in Mingo? Um, and I decided that my team is strong enough that I can kind of stay afloat um, for the next four weeks while Jefferson's out. And so I actually bid higher on Mingo than Osborne, even though most likely he's going to put a lot less points in my lineup over the course of the year. I love it. You know, I think that's a fantastic explanation on these situations. And, you know, looking at Miami, I, you know, I would 
I think it's very obvious that we look at Jeff Wilson Jr. and say, yeah, that's the story that was going to be told to us is the guys with the draft, the guy with the draft capital, and the guy with the probably the bigger contract or bigger um, name and most certain proven game are going to be the main players, and also speed because speed fat matches that system. And Wilson isn't a speedy guy, but Wilson's also he's not exactly a, slow either, though. No, he's not exactly slow. But he's not world class like those other dudes, right? So, so you know, at the same time, he's probably the most refined runner. I mean, he and Mostert are probably the two most refined runners on that depth chart. Um, and Wilson is is a type of player who you know will have a 10, 12 year career in the league and can start in a heartbeat for pretty much any any system and be good, even if he's not going to ever be great unless he has great talent around him. So that's the play for sure. A guy like Ahmed, when I look at what I see on the field, he's that classic. He and Amari DeMarcado are very similar type of players to me, which is they're scat backs who operate best in space. They have some bursts to get around the corner. If it's well blocked, they're going to get you positive yards based on their quickness. Um, they have, they aren't the most savvy decision makers to bleed the most from um, a play design. Like they, the, you, there's things that when you understand the play design that's there, they don't have the expertise to really get um, their the linebacker or safety into optimal position for, for a block to get set up. And then instead of having a like 20 yard gain that they could have had, they wind up with an eight yard gain, which still looks good when you see it, but you see the difference of what, what really could have been there. Um, so guys like that, they're used in a certain capacity and they're, they're players that like make good waiver wire pickups for matchups or temporary when there's nobody else to compete with them or they're in a, um, or they're in a, um, a committee situation where that the other people in that committee aren't quite ready yet to play like DeMarcado this week. You got Keontae Ingram with the neck issue, so how much will he be on a, a snap count? That could very well be possible. Um, you also look at that they brought in Tony Jones Jr. and Damian Williams, who are two players that have are kind of like I would put them as not as they're they're on the Jeff Wilson spectrum, but on the lower end of it. Whereas Jeff Wilson might be at the top end of that spectrum of player that we described. Williams now is probably in the lower middle and Jones is probably at the, at towards the bottom end. Um, and so their guys are going to need a couple of weeks to probably get up to speed with the scheme to, to play, which means DeMarcado's best shot, like you said, is probably this week. And then if he builds on it and we're wrong, then yeah, there, that outcome could be, could be awesome. But, um, but I, but I agree that you look at like a Chris Brooks and you realize that compared to say, the other guys that we mentioned, DeMarcado and um, and Ahmed, he's that player that he he lacks the speed part, but everything else about his game is is highly compelling. Power, footwork, um, initial burst, the fact that like when you look at other players that are in his model, um, in terms of skill set, C.J. Anderson, Legarrette Blunt, type of players who broke long runs in the NFL on a regular basis but weren't particularly fast, but they knew how to um, manipulate the box 
to create those scenarios where they have enough burst to flip the field. Um, he's that type of player. And then the power element and ability to catch, which has been which people haven't seen yet, but when you play when you play at an offense like Cal and you're used in the red zone and you're used as that not only just on like um you know checkdowns, but you're the player the quarterback's looking for on scramble drills and you're always finding your way open, or they're throwing um wheel routes and bullet routes down the field vertically and you're winning that way repeatedly. You know, it's a good. That's usually a good indicator for success as a as a receiver. You know, transitioning in. So yeah, he he's that guy that you don't have to spend the money on to get in most leagues. And if you have the luxury to where you're just like, I'm just looking for somebody that if the situation's right and it hits, I can either parlay that into a better player, or I can use him in case. You know, there is an injury to my squad between now and when that happens. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a league format where I'm putting in a bid on Salvan Ahmed. No. I just, not not necessarily a knock on him. Like, I, I agree he's probably about as good of a player as Imari DiMarcato in expectation. I, I don't know that I have reason to believe that they're substantially different. But, again, it's about, like, if if... A year from now, I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, I was really wrong about this player. And I tell the story of how I was wrong. The story for DiMarcato is a lot simpler. Ahmed, Ahmed has to overcome the fact that this is now year four in the NFL. So we're, we're, we've seen a lot more from him and we've seen the team consistently passing over him a lot more. Whereas DiMarcato's really only had four games, five games of getting passed over. Um, Ahmed has to contend with the fact that that is a very crowded 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 backfield with a lot of talented players who are at least I would say at least equal talents um whereas DiMarcato you know he's got Connor who's got an injury history and I like Connor a lot but he's getting up there in years he's got a bit of an injury history is he in Arizona's long-term plans especially if they're going into a rebuild um and then other than that you know Keontae Ingram is not I think the most exciting threat uh to DiMarcato so so I think there's more room for me to be wrong about DiMarcato than there is about Ahmed. Um, rightly or wrongly, I'm just not going to have any Salvin Ahmed on any of my teams. Yeah, I would agree with that because when you look at Miami too schematically, there's two running back roles to be had, which on the surface looks exciting and means more options, more opportunities for points. But you have to you have to start to think about well, what type of player gets each type of opportunity, and so is Ahmed. Is Ahmed that threatening of a speedster that they're going to use him in the in the HN role? And the answer is compared to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, who would be used in that role more likely because it's a sideline to sideline role in terms of where you're getting the ball more often. The answer is no, because why would you put Ahmed in there when you have one of these two players and you could take Robbie Chosen and put him outside and still have a compelling receiver on the edge to, to really stretch out the defense vertically and horizontally that, you know, whereas you, so the answers are if, if, um, HN's out, Mostert can take the HN role and be that guy. And then you have Wilson. He can take the Mostert role. Brooks can take the Mostert role. Ahmed, he can do that. But he's he doesn't have a compelling tool in his arsenal like Wilson's all around game and Brooks's budding all around game and more power. 
Um, whereas you look at Zimarcado, there's one role, and that's basically it. They're not doing anything fancy with that. In fact, Ron, you know, um, Rondale Moore is getting looks as a as a runner, but it's all downhill stuff. So they'll use him on certain looks as a speedster, but it's not something where, um, you know, it's basically one guy at a time in the backfield at the running back position. And he's not, and Moore's not that compelling as a running back. The only thing compelling about Moore being used in that capacity is that we actually finally have an offensive coordinator allowing him to do something downhill rather than beginning east-west, which has killed his value, you know, in in part um, because of the fact of how they schemed him. So, so yeah, it's a, you know, DeMarcado, I can see why he's a more appealing guy than, than Ahmed because at least there's a fit for what DeMarcado does. With Ahmed, he feels like, he almost feels like James Casey, the former Rice tight end fullback wide receiver <coughs> who was good at a lot of things but never quite fit one thing well enough to, to get production. And I think that, you know, Ahmed is kind of that type of running back where he does a lot of things okay, but it's just enough to get him on the field as a, as a like, this guy needs a breather. And, and you know, you can, you'll get some yard, you'll move the chains for us on a screen or a specific type of run, and that's it. Yeah, or I guess I probably the most succinct way of putting it for me would be if DeMarcado has 1,200 yards next year, that's going to be surprising. <laughs> if Ahmed has 1,200 yards next year, that's going to be shocking. Yes. Right? Yeah, and that's that's great. You know, and I think that, you know, on that note, let's leave it, let's leave it here. I mean, this was a good episode. I think we got a lot of things... Um, that were worthwhile to talk about and follow up. You can find Adam Harsett, of course, at footballguys.com. Does great work. And if you want to send in your thoughts with using the strategy that he's that he's been using for years with success, we'd love to hear from you. You can you can um, email us or um, DM us on Twitter. You can email me Matt Waldman at RSP. Excuse me, no, Matt Waldman RSP at gmail.com. I'll figure it out at some point. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Waldman and, of course, at footballguys.com, where we love doing the work there to help you guys uh, get better at fantasy football. So uh, thanks again and have a good week. <laughs>